everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an Idaho man kidnaps his neighbor's school-aged daughter, then does it again when she's a teen. We'll talk about the Peacock miniseries, A Friend of the Family. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I just need relief. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> just it's kid stuff. Come on. I cannot. By the Ew. way, do you remember that from Downton Abbey? What? There was also that what? weird moment on Downton Abbey where the guy from Downton Abbey, the dad, talked about the that dad, happening. Mean Lord Grantham or what? Yeah. Remember that? There was like a yes. weird tiny moment in Downton Abbey. Yes, you t- yeah, Lily came across that recently and yes. texted me. The is that what he meant? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the nothing, nothing's anything wrong with that. But it's like this forgotten moment in Downton Abbey. We talked about the fun we used to have in that. prep school. Remember? I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. It's kid stuff. All right, moving on. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Water Street Bookstore's bestseller, The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. It's good to be a big fish in a small pond in Exeter, New Hampshire. <laughs> Laura, you're not a big fish in a small pond. You're a big fish in a big pond, as we learned at your big uh, book party last night, Dan with a good hair told us that you're like by far the best selling book that they've had in the last two years. The best selling mm. author I've had the last two years at that bookstore. And people, by the way, should know that like Water Street Bookstore is not a tiny bookstore in New Hampshire. It is a big bookstore in New Hampshire. So congratulations. Thank and you. Previous I- top sellers uh, include Dan Brown. Yeah. And Joe Hill. And Stephen King. And Stephen Joe King. Hill, yeah. yeah so. And Toby Ball. And to- yeah. No, no. Take no. that, brother B. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So one thing that I wanted to clear up from a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, we had an outtake on the show where there were a couple of names mentioned in the outtake. Yeah. 
One of them was, we mentioned a listener named, uh, Toby, I think, brought her up named Jen Esequa. Jen Esequa. Jenna. Jenna. Esequas. We that, said, that, no way, that's a, a real name. That's like right. a pseudonym, somebody. Jen Esequas. Jenna Esequas. That is their real name. Yes. And, <laughs> wow. And right. when they popped up on the pod on the Facebook page and did that, I'm like, this might be the greatest moment in crime writers on history. Toby, would you like to comment on that? Although she did say I, there was some narrative where she ended up changing her name slightly because of something. And she said, yes, you got the joke. So I feel vindicated. Yes. I took French in high school. I get the joke. Yes. I didn't even take French in high school. It's yeah. like one of three French things I know. But we started laughing because our um our patron saint of the week was Liz, Liz Pin, Pin. Which was And I had a hard time getting through it because it just sounded like Lisbon or Liz Pin. Liz Pin, like that can't be a real name. That was the maybe my my one of my favorite outtakes yeah. of the show of the whole time. I don't know why it was so funny. I think it was funny just because you couldn't get through it. So <laughs> this came up in the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group today. I would like to register my outrage at the suggestion that, quote, Liz Pin might not be a real name, says the poster. Love, Liz Erm. So apparently Liz Pin is not the real name. But Jenna Sequa is? This listener. However, Jenna Sequa is, in fact, the real name of the listener. So... There's that. Kevin, you were correct. Liz Penn was, in fact, a fake name. Mm. You win the outtake wars. And in fact, it was a very good and valid outtake. All right. Good. All right. Um, So, Kevin, before we start the episode this week, this is obviously Monday's episode of Crime Writers on what is coming up on Thursday's show. Well, we're going to be talking about the podcast Bone Valley. I can't wait to get into that discussion. I cannot wait to talk about that podcast i would tell any listener who is listening to this podcast right now please 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 put thursday's podcast on your calendar and tune into that one it no is going start to getting be, caught up on bone valley so you can get listen caught up yeah. on bone valley and then tune into that discussion it's going to be a good one all right so kevin i think we should get to our topic for this episode because it is a good one should we just get to it let's do it all right i'm gonna drop that first clip right now well what is the brady bunch doing on my lawn that's our favorite show that's no surprise you're a dead ringer for jan i am jan well pleased to meet you jan robert birchtold seemed the perfect neighbor and close friend to the broberg family but his fixation on their daughter jan led him to abduct the girl and flee to mexico Parents Bob and Marianne were left confused as to why their trusted friend would take their child. Do you, do you know what a pedophile is? Is, is it a medical term? Well, uh, actually, I, I'm, just, I'm just hearing the word for the first time myself. Uh, apparently, it's a condition where an adult man develops a fixation. On young girls. But long after their return, Birchtold continued to hold Jan under his spell, keeping each parent at arm's length through blackmail. His diabolical scheme to possess Jan lasts years and threatens to tear the Brogberg family apart. I won't let him in this house, and I won't let his second-rate flowers either. 
Marianne, would you mind helping me out here? A grown man should not be getting a girl your age flowers. You're just mad because they're not from your store! Uh, 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 uh. So this was a beautiful evening until he ruined it. Jake Lacey, Anna Paquin, and Colin Hanks star in the Peacock miniseries, A Friend of the Family. The show recounts the story first told in the shocking documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. The dramatization focuses on the interpersonal dynamics between its players while highlighting the bizarre crimes. It's a cautionary tale on what happens when a master manipulator befriends the easily fooled. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first five episodes of A Friend of the Family. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So Lara Bricker, you loved the casting of this series. Why is that? I just thought everybody in this was cast so well. I mean, first of all, we have this super 70s vibe going into this, which gave it this really unique feeling. But, you know, you've got Jake Lacey, who was creepy brother B molester. And I'm like, he's so creepy. What has he been in where he was also a creepy jerk? And I'm like, oh, White Lotus. Yeah. So he's, you know, plays that role so well. We've got Sookie. Kevin can do his Sookie thing Sookie. now. <laughs> I will not apologize for loving you, Sookie. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that is some deep dive deep impression. deep cut into, into True Blood. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, we've got the girl that's cast as Jan, Hendrix Yancey, and she was also in Stranger Things. And I mean, the hairstyle, the little elfin hair, the facial expressions, Colin Hanks as Bob, the husband with the big glasses who... Like even when he's um, engaged in his um, a little something, something with his wife, he still manages to come off looking like overwhelmed, geeky, Mormon like. You can say cunnilingus. We're all adults. OK, well, I was just, you know, um, and then you've got the woman that is the wife of creepy Melissa, Leah Tipton. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she her facial expressions, like her eyes and her facial expressions. It reminded me of like. Nicola Walker, who is always so expressive and anything that she's in. I mean, I was like, so I just felt like everybody in this for the most part, like that just it took it to a, a different level for me because it just really brought it to life in a way that it wouldn't have happened if we had had lesser performances from those that were cast in these roles. But all of them, I mean, like, I don't even know who is my favorite out of those because I mean, do do you guys have someone that was your favorite? Because I just thought they all did such a good job. Well, I want to give a shout out too to McKenna Grace, which is Jan too. Who's oh, one of my yeah. favorite Jan, yeah. young actors. She was on The Young yeah. and the Restless. She was in. Um, She's in Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale right now. Tale. Yeah. She was also in like a weird Dolly Parton movie, like the Christmas coat thing. She's a young actress <laughs> that actually I've had my eye on for a long time, mostly because I'm a soap fan. But she's a great, great, great young actress. And like, she's just so, so good in this. So, Kevin, what do you think? of Well, if I had to pick somebody, I, I would pick Colin Hanks. He's just trying to get a hold of Jan again. I, I need to be able to, to trust you for you to be able to protect my girls your girl why the crap did you bring jan along with you don't you have better sense well first of all he's a vocal twin for his father which Mm. is uh, fantastic but i feel like in this version this adaptation they really fleshed out bob who mm-hmm. is kind of like a punchline in the documentary because of the surprise of his sexual encounter with b uh in this case so there's a palpable frustration with bob because he's unable to control the situations that he's in. 
And there also seems to be like a desire of B to just get some revenge on Bob. So I feel like many of the characters are fleshed out really, really well. I'm somehow surprised the amount of enlightenment that their treatment of Bob brings to the entire situation. It's he seemed a little feckless in the documentary here. He's really present and we feel his frustration, his inability to sort of take control and protect his family and uh, his own resentments for like what is going on in his life. And also the specter of the mistake that he made uh, in the car with B. So I, I mean, there's a lot of great people, but and Toby, I don't know who your favorite is, but I'd have to go with Colin Hanks for me. What do you think, Toby, about the performances in this show? I mean, they're all sort of weird, right? They're very mannered. At least, at least I found it that way. So I found it very distracting at the beginning because there's so much unadulterated wholesomeness that mm-hmm. goes on at the <laughs> beginning. Like they get together and they do like a picnic inside and they want to do a talent show so that Jan can like show off her pipes. Mm-hmm. And so she brings all these kids in and she's going to do like this rehearsal for them quietly. And all the kids are really into it and all this stuff. And it just seems like really kind of saccharine, but then, and I may be a hundred percent off on this, but my sense was, is that they're trying to create the same kind of feel that a show like the Brady bunch had, or like even in some of the other parts, like maybe like fantasy Island or whatever, because the, it, the acting doesn't seem a lot of times it doesn't seem super realistic. Yeah, they it literally like, called out the Brady Bunch, Toby. You're right. Like in that opening scene. Yeah. Jan, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's three sisters and three brothers. And that part, I think, is just kind of a weird coincidence. But I, I kind and of Al's felt like. getting the meat from the butcher. Yes. There you go. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> There's going a lot on. going on. <laughs> um, so once I kind of either had the correct or mistaken insight that, uh, that that was what they're trying to do is create this thing that feels like a 70s show and then you drop in the sociopath pedophile into it. I thought that was a really interesting choice to make. And once I kind of like got that sort of these little ticks, like the, the girl who plays the younger Jan, she does this thing where she hesitates before she says anything. She hesitates and she gets this sort of thoughtful look on her face and then she says it. And I was just like, why is the director making her do this? This is so weird. But I think it is the sort of cadence that you would find in like the Brady Bunch when, you know, they'd be sort of considering what they're going to say and then say it. So anyway, all that being said, who plays uh, Hanks's wife? Anna Paquin. I think she's she's really good in this, too. And I think in a in a tough role where she plays this this woman who's very, very conflicted and very manipulated. Yep. I feel awful doing this to Bob. He shouldn't have come here again. I think this might happen. No, no. Hey, hey, hey. She has to kind of maintain your sympathy, despite the fact that she's just making these horrendous decisions that are completely like beyond understanding, given the circumstances that surround them. But uh, she does. Yeah. And also she has sexual desires that aren't being met by her husband which is clear, and I think that's well-established in the show, by the fact that when we see him go down on her for the first time, she's like, oh, shit, that's what an orgasm is supposed to be. Oh, my, oh, oh, but, but oh my Mormon hips. But what's so interesting <laughs> to me is I do feel like we got as bad and like as not satisfying as Under the Banner of Heaven was. Uh-huh. 
the husband being like the quote, like priesthood holder or whatever it was that he was supposed to be. I feel like we got like a little bit of a, um, we've seen a lot of extremist Mormonism content lately with FLDS stuff. I do feel like, quote, mainstream Mormonism content is the next phase of what we are going to be looking at in terms of like interesting intra sect content that is Mm -hmm. going to be coming our way. I really do. And I think this is a really good look at that. I think the documentary that this was kind of based on and comes from is was a first good look at it. And this is too, because Bob's character in particular, the reason he's such an interesting character is he is supposed to be this quote, like priesthood holder patriarch of this family. Mm The story is very much about how he completely fucking loses control of that when this pedophile enters his family and in every way breaks down his daughter, breaks down his wife, breaks down every system of the family. Breaks him down. And you can see him. He knows how it's supposed to be and he loses control of it in every way. So, Kevin, can I ask you a quick question before we. um, So Jan Broberg herself opens up this documentary. What do you think of that? I know we all have thoughts on that, but obviously I've never seen that. And I wonder why they thought it would be necessary. I mean, I think in one way it gives the viewer permission to not feel intrusive of the victims. It's like, hey, I'm an executive producer on this show as well. And I'm here and you can tell it's a set because you can see the lights and all the grip equipment and shit like that. Don't feel like you're exploiting me. And saying to camera... This is my story. I wanted you to hear it. I know it may seem unbelievable, but we lived in a different world back then. I want to tell my family's story today because so many seem to think something like this could never happen to them, especially at the hands of someone they know and trust. But it did happen. It's funny because there are certainly a lot of stories. Like how many podcasts slash documentaries turned into dramatic adaptations have we talked about in the last six or seven years a lot this is the first time they've done that i'm not sure why they felt strongly enough to do that to break the fourth wall at the beginning but in a way it kind of gives us permission to just go along with the story and maybe even start to think a little more about the character of jan you know the fictional adaptation about okay well what is she actually going through and to feel a little deeper for her and see her more as a person and not just a, a pawn. To me, it gave me permission to not worry about what, how the victims would feel about watching a story about yeah. a child being molested by a yeah. guy in this really Or how I was molested. Crazy you know, way. Yeah, Laura, what, how did you feel about the fact that they did that? I, I looked into this because I was kind of curious as well. She was one of the producers. Yeah. So I think maybe putting her in that role where she was a little bit more driving the story like I felt like, OK, that put her in the position where she wanted to right up front, come out and maybe put herself out there so that it was like like you're saying, like, it's OK to watch this and see this from a different perspective because she's involved in it and she's putting herself out there. Yeah, I basically agree with you guys. I mean, I think the one thing that's weird for me was, again, the stuff about the family before it all goes haywire is so strangely portrayed that it seems weird to me that she'd be like, Oh, and by the way, I'm signing off on this being the way my family was before Mm. all this stuff happened. Yep. That to me seemed kind of odd. This is very like, there's a lot of raw stuff in this. I mean, even though it's sort of shown in this 
sort of stylized way or whatever, but like the potential for it to seem like it's just humiliating this family is definitely there. So I think having her come out and be like, this is okay for you to watch because I'm, I, I'm part of this. I, I give it my seal of approval. Doesn't she say it's like a cautionary tale? She wants it to be a cautionary tale for yep. people. Like it just seems it, this is like pretty extreme. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it, it's, a it's crazy. not like this happens on every block in America. You know, I, I, I think we've seen that that people who are good manipulators can get people to do crazy, crazy stuff. And yeah. you can say it would never happen to me, but it could. But this again, this is sort of like on the far edge of that spectrum of what people get manipulated into doing. And, and which I guess is why it was a podcast and a documentary and a miniseries. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Yeah. What is going on in the business section, Kevin? Well, right now, uh, you can get in our Patreon feed, the latest Crime Writers on After Show. Toby Ball is going to talk about his strange fascination with his neighbor's daughter. What? <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. He's actually... Brother B? <laughs> Look at his face. Brother Ball? <laughs> Brother Ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's your favorite person in the whole world besides your parents? Yeah. You are, brother Toby Ball. Uh, (laughs) Actually, Toby had a great experience at a concert. He went backstage and was the dad. Ew. So you got to hear all about that? Weird. You also can listen to the latest Married With podcast. We had a bunch of questions, including one from a woman who said that her brother-in-law house sat for the elderly parents, and when uh, he left, he left the place filthy, with garbage and flies and a sex toy in the bathroom. Correct. I, I saw that one. I was like, oh, I need details. And that was literally the least complicated question on Mary It podcast. was the least complicated question. Correct. It was a very good Mary with podcast. That episode is out now. It is really good. So if you want any of this great content, you just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can join our exclusive content club for $5. Get all the way up 
to the naming rights to the studio. Yes, which are never going to be free, No, Alyssa is our best friend, and she has been uh, sponsoring the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio for many, many years, and we hope many years to come. Yes. What else have we got, Kevin? Well, we want to let you know that you can sign up for free for our newsletter. Yep. Which comes out every Thursday, and you'll get a recap of our reviews. You get crime writers on behind the scenes, the cat of the week, new information about merch, all the great stuff. You just go to crimewriterson.com and put in your email address. All right. Kevin, is thus in the business section? And thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade the music out right now. All right, so before the break, Toby mentioned this was a podcast and a documentary and a miniseries. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of things. I mean, this story is bananas, but it's also deeply, deeply personal. And I just want to talk about that because I feel there are very, very, very few stories told about an incredibly common thing, which is the molestation of kids. It happens to, they say, one of four children, which is, by the way, the fact that they say that to me, it means it's probably way more than one of four children. So the fact that this is but this is a well, you're correct. But this is so this is an uncommon tale. But this tale in particular. Yeah. Is a tale of a guy who molested a child, but also seduced an entire family. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that one of the reasons why I think this story deserves to be told is that it shows how good a predator is mm-hmm. and how it yep. is not a kid's fault. And in many ways, it is not the parent's fault for being taken in by a friend of the family mm-hmm. because that so commonly is the person who is the predator who preys on the kids. This is just an extreme case of that. Well, yeah. it's an extreme case because he also messed with the mom and the dad yeah, yeah. and was able to do it multiple times. Kevin, I know that normally we make fun of things that are sort of redone over and over and over again. Well, only if they're not done well. But I was expecting yeah. this. I was expecting this dramatization to be terrible. Like I was like, oh shit, this again. Mm-hmm. But this is like good, right? Well, I'm really liking it, and I, I'm picking up the vibe that everybody else is. And I think it's because this is one of those things where it takes the story that we already know. And advances it. And we saw this with Dr. Death, which was also on Peacock. Oh, I Dr. Felt like, Death was so fucking I felt good. like we got the same thing from Joe versus Carol, which was also on Peacock. Um, that it takes what we already know and imagines the dramatic possibilities that are there in real life but can be magnified in a, a dramatic retelling. And I think that's what we do here is that we that these figures are much more fleshed out by by having this these interpersonal reactions and making what seems like incredibly gullible decisions seem completely understandable and human. The only person we haven't really at this point, five episodes in, really gotten to know how they tick is B. But we're getting it from everybody. We're, we, we're certainly learning about all the other characters. There was that little scene in the Chinese restaurant where he mentioned a little bit about being mistreated as a child. But beyond that, you know, that's the last one I'm waiting on is to like, how are they going to sort of dramatically deal with his motivations and who he really is? Do we need to know his motivations? Is he just an agent of chaos? Yeah, I don't need those motivations. I I don't. But but here's the thing. In a good dramatic adaptation, I'm going to say they'll create some, but they'll divine something that makes you understand. Oh, I don't need to know that. Okay. 
I don't know. I'll tell you personally, I don't need to know the fact that he's interfering is all that I need to know. And Laura, I just think he's so like Jake Lacey, who's playing him, is so mm-hmm. fucking good. I'll go home and play with the boys. I'll pick her up after. The only thing I care about is not disappointing the little girl. You know what that's like. Just wanting something so bad. Don't you marry it? This is going to sound so weird. I believe he can seduce a child and a man and a woman. Like, it's just done so well. And it is so weird to say that because, like, in so many things that we watch and listen to, it's like, you know, this can't be. Like, how could... Yeah. And even even watching the documentary, it's like, come on. Like, how could a man seduce everybody in this family? But in this dramatization, like, it is completely believable. And, like, it's, it's portrayed as, like, completely believable that a person could actually have done this, right? Yeah, well, I think... Absolutely. It comes across as in the beginning when you, you're you seeing the setup of the, the two families and how close they are, you're also getting the feeling like he's very charismatic and they're all drawn to him. But I think what they did really, really well in this is set up grooming and mm-hmm. how he groomed not only Jan, but also the dad and also the mom and the way that because of how, just how manipulative he was and how smooth he was at how he did it. Like, even when he's caught, he is able to lure the mom out to his little camper trailer and have sex with her. Multiple times. Yeah, after he's taken her daughter to Mexico, married her, and like, you know, I came away really with the sense watching this of like, okay, because it sounds crazy when you see it. Like, you know, you see the abducted in plain sight and you're like, okay, wait a minute. And now the dad's giving him a hand job, and wait, now he's having sex with the mom and now the aliens are telling him to have sex with Jan. Like, uh, Forgot about the aliens. Yeah. But the aliens, yeah. I, I also want to say the alien part, when Jan is off in the camper and you're hearing this, you are the chosen one, you are the, cho- you are the chosen That's female. That's the way to groom a child, right? Yeah, but that was when you watched how traumatized Jan was by the aliens, you're like, I actually could believe that it happened this way. It really shows how, you know, people that are sex offenders are charismatic in the ones like this guy who can not only assault one person, but an entire family. I mean, that was, that was the part that was so amazing about this was just his control over everybody. He's literally able to talk to everybody in a way that will affect that person. Yes. In contrast, Toby, there are some people in the show who are sort of like the audience's voice who are coming in from the outside who are like, what in the actual fuck? And those are like the law enforcement people and the lawyers. Can you speak to those characters who keep trying to like, even like the Mormon prosecutor who's like, dudes, I'm a Mormon too. What in the actual fuck are you guys doing going and making a deal with this lawyer, uh, with his lawyer? Like, why did you sign this thing? What is the matter with you people? They're decent people. They're just naive. I am a Mormon too, Agent Welsh. But I wouldn't let some guy do whatever the heck he wanted with my kid. I mean, the scenes are like kind of amusing almost because it's just 
like, again, I think you get kind of caught up in the logic of the story that's going on. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're trying to do this or trying to do that. But then we get somebody who's from the outside and everybody in this has like a vested interest. But there's, you know, when they're saying, why would you do this? You know, and there's just no good answer. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I sent the I sent the marriage certificate back to Mexico because I wanted it annulled. It's like, well, did you keep a copy? No. It's like, how could you not keep a copy? Like, I guess it was different in the 70s. I don't have a Xerox machine. It's 1974. He was just hey, doing man. what he thought he should be doing. <laughs> I own a flower shop. Yeah, exactly. I Yeah. So and, and the scene with the uh, when they meet with B's lawyer, the woman who's like a valued member of society or whatever. <laughs> and she's just kind of laying out like, look, you can sign this thing or else shit is going to get really bad. Valued for member of society. Uh, they set that up, by the way, so well. Yeah. And multiple times saying, oh, we like her. Oh, we right, know her. Right. We like her. That was set up so fucking well because she's also a Mormon, right? Right. And then she's just like, look, you know, she's not. You've got she, yourself she in this situation. Yeah. I don't even have to play that hard a hardball just to put you in an impossible situation if you don't sign this stuff. So, yeah, I thought th- I thought those were good. And it like if it was handled a little bit differently. It might sort of break the spell that you're that you're following and and make everything just seem completely absurd. Uh, but I think it it does, it serves this little like dose of reality that, you know, the family has to get and has to kind of react to, but it doesn't really keep them from making <laughs> continued bad decisions as, as things go along. Is there, is, you know, is there under the sway of, of uh, Brother B? Now, Kevin, the documentary showed things in a different order mm-hmm. and the dramatization is showing them. I think the dramatization is showing them like, I think more consecutively in the order with this to actually happen. A happened. little more chronologically, yeah. And yeah. The, the documentary did revelations, but earlier this had happened. And of course, the big revelation in the documentary that they showed at the very end was oh, by the way, there had been this encounter between Brother B and Bob. But in the dramatization, they show that like this was this thing that he'd been holding against him all along. But it actually feeds Bob's resentment and fear. And you see that sort of hanging in Bob's head the whole time as everything's going along. Do you think that works dramatically here? I I think it does, because like you said, of the three big revelations in the documentary, we hear, of course, about the kidnapping and, you know, the interference with the daughter. Then we find out, oh, my God, he slept with the mom. And you think that's it. And then when you find out he had the sexual encounter with the dad, it's like, boom, mind blown. Right. I mean, there's there's like all these clips on the internet of people reacting, oh my God, that too? And I think that's one of the the things that people remember about the documentary. But because it played out in that order in the documentary, I always kind of thought of it like that happened last. And I never thought that it happened chronologically first. And by putting it there and telling it in that order, I mean, in the documentary, you get the most bang for the buck by putting it there. In this dramatization, you get the most bang for the buck by making sure it happens first chronologically because that way it explains so much about Bob's resentment, Bob's inability to sort of take action and sort of like what does B have over him. It's that insane and, and, and that it keeps getting, you know, thrown in in Bob's face and, you know, that he's going to be outed as a homosexual or something like that. That was not something to hold back for a surprise later on. It, it works very well how they have it. I do love the extra textual Mormon stuff here. B 
Because just like in the documentary, the documentary like shows us that they're Mormons and how they're being Mormons contributes to this because they're in this very closed community. Right. And the same thing happens in this fictionalized version where you just see the consequences. They go in front of this council and it's mm-hmm. like, well, now you've been uh, it's not excommunicated. Yeah, it's the first thing that happens to Bob first. He becomes, it's not. He got like reprimanded. He couldn't take like communion yeah, or something. There's a, yeah, there's a special word for it where he can't do the, the stuff. And then she becomes excommunicated because they're going to get divorced or whatever. But it just sh- sort of shows like they have to go up. It's like going to the principal's office for the church, right? It just shows like this is sort of an important part of the fabric of this. But it's a little. And what the stakes are for them personally. So, but it's yeah. like a little bit extra textual. Like it's not blaming their religion for it, but it's showing that, that it's actually a very important like part of the fabric of the story. Another part of it that's extra textual, but that's an important fabric of the story that I think is done very well, aside from the stuff that Toby talked about as being part of the aesthetic of the TV show itself, is Lara, the portrayal of the actual 70s in the show. Um, Like one of my favorite things that happens in the show, I mean, the bikes, the cars, the daughter, the second daughter breaking her arm and like the mom driving her in the car with no seatbelt on, and yeah. you're just like holding on in the back seat. Like, hold on, we're going to the airport like instead. All of the <laughs> '70s stuff I just think is done so so well in this. The bedroom in the basement. Yeah. Like, what do you think of just like the aesthetic of the show? Well, I think the aesthetic of the show. I have to tell you guys, um, the first time I, I started watching this, my my internet was quirky because they were working on the internet on my street, and I thought they were doing some funky film angle with it because it was like in slow motion. And I was like, this is really groovy. Um, but, you know, you have like this sort of old timey NBC logo. There's like a title card in this like curvy font that's like very 1970s. It, it just definitely like the clothing, the hairstyles, everything. But, it, you know, so it did come away feeling like something like, like you were talking about before, like watching like the Brady Bunch. But the creepiest fuck pedophile Mormon version of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> you know? Don't let Cousin uh, Oliver in. Yeah, basically. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, and and I think that it just, they they really captured like, Fresca in a bottle. I'm like, Fresca in a bottle? Is this a thing? Oh my God. Like when she's like, I don't know if I like this Fresca. And I'm like, oh, you will. Um, but it just definitely, and and I think setting it up like that also to me, gave everybody that was in it, even though like there, there was sort of a naivety to the people because of the culture that, and the religion and this sort of value system that they had. But also like you came away feeling like this sort of time period, like this was not a time that we were talking about pedophiles. This was like a different time. It's like the wonder years or something, you know, and, and I think it really that to me really came through. And, you know, it was just definitely. I just loved, well, that sounds horrible to say, like that I loved all of that that time period scene setting. But I did. I, that to me was one of the parts no, listen, that I really connected with. I loved with. it too. I loved it too. And I loved it when Jan said that dad's just jealous because brother B can do things he can't do. <laughs> I mean, it made sense. It made yeah, sense Brother to me. B. It made sense. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter <laughs> or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. <laughs> Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. 
That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out a friend of the family? What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this dramatization that is available now on Peacock. What do you think? I can't believe I'm saying this. This is like a big thumbs up for me. And the reason I say I can't believe I'm saying this is because this particular story, when we saw it in Abducted in Plain Sight, I'm like, this is the most messed up thing. It is so disturbing. I can't believe it's true. Oh my God. And now I'm like, Oh, but I'll watch another version of it because I feel like this added another level. This for me anyway, it, it brought it to life in a way that abducted in plain sight didn't in terms of showing the perspective of different members of the family. I really came away really sensing how Brother B was able to pull this all off and all the um, performances, all the actors and actresses in this were just, I thought, cast extremely well. And it was something that is disturbing as it was. And I still continue to come away going like, what the fuck? I can't believe this really happened. At the same time, I was like, well, this is really well done. So I would say a big thumbs up. Toby Ball. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up too. I mean, I think it would have been, I mean, the story is so strange that it would have been easy just to kind of do a paint by numbers thing and, and still had it be, you know, sort of compulsively watchable and, and all this. But I think they they do some really interesting things with how they portray the time period. And and it's not just, you know, set design and costume design and stuff. It's it's the way that the people act and they interact with each other uh and things like that. So um yeah, I, I'm a big thumbs up. I I the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to deal with this. But then once I kind of got into the sort of rhythm of it or whatever, I thought it was really good. So big thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm also an enthusiastic thumbs up on this. I think it's great that they took a classic documentary and really mined the emotional depth of those people and you know brought this to a new level, a new level of our understanding, but also a new level of our enjoyment of the way that the tale is told uh, and the fact that we have the real Jan coming out in the beginning and saying, this is my story. I want you to hear it sort of like lets us kick back and we've got great casting, great performances, and we're only halfway through. I'm really you know looking forward to seeing how they end this emotional tale. Yeah, I'm a big thumbs up to a slightly different reason than you guys. I love Everything that you guys said about it, too, there's one other thing that I love about this that I want to point out. We do not have enough normalized, for lack of a better word, entertaining mainstream stories about stuff that happens like this to families and to kids, which is probably one of the most common crimes that happens to families and kids. And I really, really, really appreciate the fact 
that this well-done, incredibly entertaining series was made about sexual abuse and grooming in the 70s and, you know, in this like beautifully done way. A story, by the way, that is still reoccurring over and over and over again, which is sparking conversations and is interesting and well cast and stylized is actually something that like gives us something to talk about, like because guys are good at this because people are not gullible and stupid because people are actually good at infiltrating families. This is actually important content and it's being delivered in a really smart way. But yes, it's also a very entertaining and compelling and well-cast show. So yeah, I have to give it a big thumbs up. Similarly to Dr. Death, extremely surprised at how well this was done. So big thumbs up for me for a friend of the family. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of... Crime of the week. The week. A woman in Japan is out a small fortune after being catfished by a man who said he was a Russian cosmonaut who needed money to return to Earth. <laughs> Vice reports the 65-year-old woman was in a long-distance romantic relationship with a man she thought was on the International Space Station. The victim was fooled by his Instagram account filled with photos of outer space. They never actually spoke because, as the con man claimed, Cell service is pretty bad when you're in orbit. Jesus fucking Christ. I always say it's not the woman's fault, but Jesus fucking Christ. The fake astronaut promised to marry her when he returned to Earth, but he didn't have enough money for, quote, the landing fees. (laughs) Do you know Mordecai in space? Oh, my God. Like, I am the queen of saying it's never the victim's fault, but Jesus fucking Christ. All right. After making four payments totaling the equivalent of $30,000, the woman became suspicious and called police. (laughs) Authorities are now looking into this out of the world scheme. So panel, what are some clues that the woman missed that should have convinced her that this guy wasn't a real astronaut? Laura Bricker, what do you think? That his background of space was like the Zoom background <laughs> you can just substitute in when you want to change where you are. Yeah. Maybe the Zoom logo. Yeah. Tell me about what do you think were some clues that this woman missed out on that should have convinced her this guy wasn't a real astronaut? Are you in zero gravity or just happy to see me? (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, what do you think? Uh, I said he had to close the windows because it was raining. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I always say it's not the woman's fault because the guy's really good at what he's doing. In this one case. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I, I will say, believing a man is in space and cannot afford the landing fees to come back from the International Space Station... He's astronaut B. Yeah, B was better at it. B was better at it. Okay. Female companion. All right. Female companion. <laughs> you are the female companion. $30,000. That was a child. $30,000. That was a child. This is a woman. All you right. You are the chosen one. All right. We're going to end it there. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and tell you how they can fool you by pretending to be on the International Space Station, how can they find you on Twitter? Oh, my God. Good luck. Um, 
Well, actually, I'm pretty gullible. Uh, it's at Laura Bricker on Twitter. And Joey Ball folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, I'm on the International Space Station and I can't afford landing fees. Can you help me out? How can they find you on Twitter? I'll definitely help you out at Toby Ball NH. I was going to say, you should land on the pickleball ball court uh, next door to your house, Toby. Oh, God. Kevin Flynn, how can folks find you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if folks want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there and join the group. It's awesome. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show, married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the poor Olivia Burdett, who has to listen to all of our outtakes. The executive producer of this fine program is the newly vaccinated Kevin P. Flynn. Newly flu vaccinated, right? Both. I got them both. One each arm. It hurts. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet. In our New Hampshire basement, which is covered in 1970s brown wood paneling, red wall-to-wall carpeting, and hand-woven orange afghans draped on a tan couch with repeating American eagle patterns. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I think my phone just heard what we were talking about with Je ne sais quoi. I now just got this ad, and it's uh, so you can see this. Can you see it the It looks lady? like a woman lying on the bed. And it says, Adore me. Inspired by French girl chick, our new styles have a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally, it's literally, I'm going to screenshot this and send this to you guys. Oh my God. And they say, we're not listening to them. Oh, okay. no. Perfect. Wow. I got to see what my phone looks like. Yeah, I'm going to hold my phone. <laughs> Big boobs. <laughs> Big boobs. No, it's not doing anything. Let's make sure I don't share this with the Chronicle Little of the Horse boobs. People. Yeah. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 